This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today, and may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and he hears me when I call. Isn't that comforting? Oh, he knows my name. With small as we are, not even big as a cell, but he knows my thoughts, and he knows every hair of my head. Isn't that delicious? Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's filling. Let's pray. Set me a fire, Lord. Stir us, we pray. While the world perishes, we go on our way, purposeless, passionless, day after day. Set us a fire, Lord. Stir us, we pray. Thank you for seeing us and knowing us and loving us and blessing us and preparing a place for us. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us everything to live godly before you. Thank you that you will begin the work and will finish it in us. Thank you for all those promises that are mine, every chapter, every book, and every line. Lord, we're standing on your word, divine, because we know that this word is ours. We love you, Lord. Bless us, teach us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read again to you from 1 Kings chapter 20 because it is so hysterical. It is funny, this chapter. It's a marvelous story we don't talk about too much, but this one's awesome, and I want to start with you in verse 22, I think. In verse 22, And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go strengthen yourself. And mark and see what thou doest. I'm reading out a King James Version. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And do this. Take the kings away. Give every man out of his place and put captains in their rooms and the number the army like the army that thou hast lost horse for horse and chariot for chariot and we will fight against them in the plain and surely we will be stronger than they and he hearkened unto their voice and did so and it came to pass at the return of the year that Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids. But the Syrians filled the country. And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Because the Syrians have said, The Lord God 
is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. I'm going to deliver them in your hands. Let me tell you the story. The story, Ben-Hadad is the king of Syria. He is, a, he is the greatest ruler of the time, and he has so many folks, so many. He has uh, 32 kings up under him, and they have their own armies. And so Ben-Hadad comes to the Israelites, and he sends a messenger. It starts with chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. He sends a messenger to Ahab. Ahab, you all know the story of Ahab. Ahab is married to Jezebel. And this chapter follows when Jezebel has killed all the prophets and Elijah comes and the fire comes down and all of that. You know that story? And then Elijah runs to a cave. And then this chapter happens. So Ben-Hadad comes to Samaria. He comes to the Israelites and he sends a messenger to King Ahab and he says, King Ahab, you see all these folk here. We're going to take over. But this is what I want you to do. I won't destroy y'all if you give me all your wives, all your children, all your gold and all your silver. I won't destroy you. And Ahab says, okay. So he goes, the message goes back and tells Ben-Hadad, he said, okay. And Ben-Hadad says, well, never mind. Go back and tell him another message. Tell him this message. Tell him, I want all your wives, all your children, all your gold and your silver, but I'm also going to send my messengers in, and they can go to any of your, all of your people's houses, and they're going to go through your houses and take whatever they want out of the house. And Ahab said, hmm. That ain't such a good bargain. <laughs> and so he says, mm, no, I don't think so. And the messenger goes back and tells Ben-Hadad, and Ben-Hadad is out drinking with his boys. Drinking makes you real stupid. Whether it's one drink or two drinks, it affects your brain because he gets real stupid. And he says, in verse 10, he says, Ben-Hadad sends a message, the gods do unto me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for a handful of all the people that follow me. I'm going to get you for that. And he sends a message back to Ahab. And Ahab says, in verse 11, and the king of Israel answered and says, tell him, let not him that girdeth on his, har his, on his harness boast himself as the one who takes it off. In other words... Just because you put on your armory, don't boast like you're going to win something like a person who has already won. Just because you put it on doesn't mean you'll ever get to take it off. But verse 12 says, Ben-Hadad heard this message and he was drinking and all the kings of the pavilions. And he said, get yourself ready for battle. We're going to, to kill them. But because you're drinking, your brain doesn't work so well. So he says to his soldiers, he says, oh, Ahab has gotten his little soldiers. He's got, some, uh, he's got some princes. He's got 232 young princes. And he sit, numbers them, and there's about 232 of them. And he has all of 7,000 people. And so the Israelites go out to battle this great army. 
And B and Hadad says, oh, who's that? Who's coming? He said, if they're coming out in peace, don't kill them. But if they're coming out to fight with us, don't kill them. See what drinking will make you do? It make you real stupid. So he told his soldiers, go fight them, but don't kill them. So the Israelites killed them. He slaughtered, they slaughtered them. And Ben-Hadad gets away. But it says in verse 22 that the prophet says to Ahab, he says, but go get ready. Because next year about this same time, Ben-Hadad is coming back to fight you again. And that's when, in verse 23, Ben-Hadad's advisors said, look, king, we can win. The problem was that, see, we fought them in the hills. Their God is a God of the hills. Let's fight them in the valley, and we'll be sure to win. Their gods are the gods of the hills. You know, I think that's a problem with Christians today. Many of us think that God is the God of the hills and not also the God of the valley. See, we, and the Bible says it, that he abides the high places. And I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes. We love mountaintops experiences. We love testimonies and victories. And when things are going well, oh, Jesus loves me, this I know. But when the valleys come, I don't know. I must not be doing right. God doesn't hear my prayer. I'm so pitiful because I'm in a valley. And we believe, many of us believe, that he is not there with us, that he is only the God of the excitement, of the grace. Don't ask me to go hear a preacher that's not good because that's a valley experience. But there was a message for you there too. I researched, and there are 29 that I found, 29 valleys listed in the Old Testament. So I want to share with you a few of the valleys, valleys that I think we are in, or have been in, or will be in, and talk about God, the God of the valleys. The first one I want you to turn to is in Joshua chapter 7. In Joshua chapter 7, there's a story. It's, you know, Joshua. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Joshua had taken over Jericho. And before they went into Jericho, God said, everything in Jericho is cursed, except for Rahab and anybody that's within her doors. But everything is for me. It's an offering for me. Do not touch it. But there was one man, and his name is Achan. Let me read to you. Achan, when they went in, Achan saw some, some things, and he took them, and he hid them in his tent. And I'm going to read to you Joshua chapter 7, verse 24. Joshua finally discovers, because from Jericho, they started losing battles. And when Joshua went and talked to God about it, God said, someone has done and evil there has blatantly disobeyed me. Joshua finds Achan and finally comes to him. And verse 24 says, And Joshua and all Israel took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold 
and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had and brought them into the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned the, from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor to this day. Trouble. Achor means trouble. The Valley of Trouble. The Valley of Willful Disobedience. The Valley of Uncovering, of Hiding Your Sins. Achan, Achor, represents trouble. Things that you brought upon yourself. You did it. Nobody made you did it. You jumped in the mud all because you wanted to. You were drinking, you were partying, you were doing that, and now you're sitting up in jail. You did it. Nobody forced you to do it, but you did. It's the valley of, of trouble. But God is the, not just the valley of the God of the hills, because he's the God of the valley. And so we see even, because we know trespasses are not forgiven, but as a God of the valley, of the valley of Achor, he is still in charge of that. Ask David about it. Talk about willful disobedience. Y'all know David's story, right? Chose to take somebody. He had a whole bunch of wives and concubines, concubines but he saw a woman and he chose to go get her. And he knew her because her husband was one of his soldiers. But he wanted her, he got her, and then tried holding it and, and hiding it and trying to cover it up even so much that he committed murder to do it. Talk about willful disobedience. Created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. That's what he prayed after God forgave him that foolishness. He confess that sin because God is not just the God of the hills, but he's the God of the valleys. Even when you're ridiculous and stupid, don't stay away. Come back because he's the God of the valley. Amen? And if you turn with me to Hosea chapter, chapter 2. In Hosea chapter 2, you know that story about Miss Gomer. Gomer was whorish. She was an adulteress. She was married to a prophet. And she would not stay with him, but chased all of her lovers. He would give her gifts, and she would give them to anybody so that they would be with her. What? Talk about willful disobedience. And yet, look at Hosea chapter 2. And in Hosea, it's talking about us. We are those whorish folks. We're the ones who chase after riches and chase after fame and chase after uh, people trying to think well of me or whatever. Chase after clothing and don't return ties. We're the, we're the willful disobedient ones. But look what he says there in Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, talking about us. 
Therefore, behold, I will allure her, my Gomer. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. I will give her trouble valley. She has been a trouble all of her life, making poor choices, but I'm the God, not just of the hills, but I'm the God of the valley. And I will come to her and call her back, and I will give her trouble valley as a place that she will remember she was a trouble, but she will rejoice and sing praises to me. Isn't that a good God? I am not just God of the hills, but I'm God of even your troubling selves. You've made poor choices. And we, and we, and he still calls us back. Now turn with me to Second Samuel. Second Samuel, chapter twenty, chapter twenty-three, I think. Chapter twenty-three, and let me read you the verse thirteen. It says, "And three of the thirty chief." went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. The valley of Rephaim. Rephaim, that word means giants. The valley of the giants. David was running away from Saul, and there he was hiding, and down there were a whole host of the Philistine garrison. He's up there, they're down there. And David had three of his chief guys. Now these guys were tough, they were bad. They were, you ought to read it. Go back up and read what those guys could do. But three of them, just three men. And a garrison could be as many as a thousand folks down there. And David was looking down at him and he said, oh, I sure wish I could just get a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem down there just a drink of water. And the men overheard it. So those three went down, broke through the garrison, got him a cup of water. Is that, they were, they were tough. <laughs> they went and got him a cup of water because he wished it. You know, I thought, Lord, I want to be like that. When you wish something, I want to give you that much pleasure that I will risk anything to do what you said. That's what I want to, that's kind of love. Because those, like, those guys love David. He didn't say, go get it. He said, man, that would just be delicious. And he went down anywhere. They went down, went through all of that valley of giants. And when they brought it to David, he took that water that they did that. And he said, Lord, I am not worthy of all that. I don't need anybody loving me that much. Only you are worthy of that. And he made it a drink offering to the Lord. I think that's why God loved him so much. He said, I, ooh, you're worthy. Here, Lord, here's the water. We want to give you praise with this water. We'll go get whatever you, ooh. We can hardly come to church on time. <laughs> we can hardly do stuff and they, Man, I want to love you like that, I, that I will, I will hasten to do your will. That's the kind of love I want to have for him, like those soldiers did. The valley of giants meant nothing to them. A host of folks meant nothing to them. Well, you are facing giants in your lives. We're all facing giants 
maybe a prognosis. Some doctor told you you've got a this going on or, or a child is sick or, or you're going through a divorce or your bills are too high and your money's too short. And whatever the valley is that you're in, he is not just the God of the hills, he's the God of the valleys. He can handle Goliath kind of problems, amen? Giants mean nothing to him. Last January, we buried a little girl. She was two years old. She was one of my um, nurse's babies, and that baby contracted something, and she ended up in the ICU for over a month. And the family kept vigil, and we prayed with the mom, because she worked for us. And she, but this little girl named McKenna, this little girl, two years old, they would bring her song in. She had one song that was her favorite song. I give myself away so you can use me. Somebody know that song? I give myself away. I don't know all the words. Here's my, what is it? Here's my heart. Take my, what's the, what's the word? Lord, I place it in your hand. Lord, I want you to see your desire revealed in me. I give myself away. And that was her song. She figured out her purpose before many of us have, and we're way past two. But she knew it. And on the day that she died, there was a prayer vigil, and the dad was there who was an unbeliever, and the mom was there, and a whole bunch of folk that were not Christians. And they, she was preaching to them as they played that song over and over and over. And the, the charge nurse, my friend, was saying, people gave their lives to Christ because of McKenna. Giant problems, and God knows how to deliver. McKenna didn't, didn't live, but she finished her work. She got her well done. Amen? That's the good news of it. You know, God will use children. That's what our Sabbath school lesson was about. He will use children, infants. He will use you. So if you're facing a death, when God says the well done, we need to celebrate. When we're weeping, it's because I want you to be here with me. And God says they did all they were supposed to do. Amen. When I first came into the church, you know, I love mission stories, but one of the first mission stories that I read about, you know our mission stories are true, was about a couple who went on a mission trip. No, they were, they were missionaries, and they went over to a country. Their little girl, they had three little kids, and their baby girl died there. They were so heartbroken, and before they left, they came back to the States, they buried the little girl there, and on that tombstone, they say that my little, our baby lies here waiting for Jesus to come. My baby is lying here waiting for Jesus to come. And then they left. They, came, they went back heartbroken. We didn't finish anything, and we lost our child. So sad. Years later, they came back. Well, let me tell you the rest of the story. There was a young woman who had a giant problems and she was so discouraged, she was going to kill herself. She decided today she was going to commit suicide. And so she went into this graveyard, and she was walking, and she saw a gravestone that says, Our baby lies here 
waiting for Jesus to come. Well, what does that mean? And she couldn't understand what it meant, so she went and asked and found a Seventh-day Adventist church, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And they taught her about Jesus and forgiveness and that he's coming back soon and we're waiting for him to come. He's got a home and, a, and redemption for us. That woman gave herself to Christ, made a choice to live and not die. She went and went and witnessed to her family. She witnessed to all her friends. She was free and shared it with everything everybody and then about five or six years later the family came back just for a reunion with the people and they had this great big thing they met this young woman who had because of their baby having died and she had with her another like 128 people hmm. i think that's pretty awesome I think that's pretty awesome. You know, God is the God of giants, too, the valley of giants. And even though you think your situation is huge, he will take that for redemptive purposes and work it together for good. Amen? And the family was comforted to see that in her death, their daughter had done such great evangelism. Amen? Now, there are all kinds of valleys, and there, um, I told you there's 29 of them, and I won't go through all of them because I'm only do four with you. But let me just share a couple other names with them. Because, you know, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's Lonesome Valley, all kinds of valleys and valleys of decision. One of the valleys is Jephthahel in Joshua 9, verse 14. That valley is the valley of God will open. There's another one. Valley of Ben-Hinnon, that's in Joshua 18, 16. That's called the Valley of Slaughter. That reminds me of that young couple, the Adventist that was killed by her husband and the two children that haven't been able to find their valley, their, their, um, the bodies at all. That's a Valley of Slaughter to me. How are you the God of the valley? But he says he is, believe it. There's the valley of vision. You sang about be thou my vision. There's a valley of vision in Isaiah 22, verse 1. And Zeboam, I, uh, 1 Samuel 13, 18, is the valley of hyenas. Oh, no! <laughs> the valley of hyenas. There are all kinds of valleys, 29, that I saw. And there may be even more. But let me share another one with you. Here's one of my favorites. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37, you all are familiar with that one. You remember Ezekiel in chapter 1. I mean, verse 1, it says, And the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out into the spirit, in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by by them round about and behold they were very many in the open valley and lo they were very dry in, in other words these bones had been bleached they had been out there so long there was no more meat left on them they were dry and brittle bones they had been they were past doing anything with and he said unto me son of man can these bones live and Ezekiel had finally figured out, you can't tell God what he can't do. He said, he said, 
And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And when... I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived, lived and stood upon their feet, and it an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, our hope is lost. We are cut off from all parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you to the land of Egypt. And I mean, Israel, and you will know that I am the Lord when I've opened your graves, O oh, my people. Dr the valley of dry bones, dry bone valleys, when all hope is gone, I can't pass that test. <laughs> I'm going to fail. He's the God of the valleys. When I can't stay with him anymore, I'm tired, I can't. He can speak to broken relationships, dry bone relationships. He can bring life. Can you imagine? Look at poor Ezekiel. He's sitting out there with these bones and just all that rattling starts happening and all that shaking. And that stuff starts coming together. Can you imagine meat jumping on a bone? Can you imagine skin covering flesh? He saw things. He is the God of the driest situations. I can't get out of this. You know, I have met folks who bankrupt, uh, their houses went into bankruptcy, and they had no place to go, and they've lived in that same bankrupt house and not paid any rent for three years. Hallelujah, glory. He's the God of the valleys. Have you ever heard of folks who didn't have any gas in their car, and they drove miles on fumes? Because he's the God of the valleys. He is able to carry me, amen? because he's the God of the valleys. When you think all hope is gone, our God is not just the God of the hills. He can work all things together for our good, even the most hopeless situations. There was a woman in Luke chapter 13 who had been crippled, bent over like this, for 13 years. All she could do was see the ground. And how in the world did Jesus see her in the crowd where everybody's standing up? And she's like this. And he said, come to me, daughter, in Luke chapter 13. And he said, stand up. And she stood up so that she glorified and praised him. Because he can take broken over things that are dead and lost and bring them to life. Because he's the God of the, he's the God of the valleys. One more, 
But you know, I didn't finish telling you about the battle with Ben-Hadad. I didn't finish it. But I have to go to this last one. But let me tell you what happened, because it's really hysterical. Back there in first um, Samuel 20. So Ben-Hadad comes back to fight against them. And it's said in the scripture that the children of Israel came out and there were only 7,000 of them. And Ben-Hadad had 37,000 and they were camped in front of him like, <laughs> they were like flocks of goats, two little flocks of goats, and they filled the whole country. And the children of Israel killed 10,000 of Ben-Hadad's folks, 10,000. And they ran away, the rest of them, 27,000, ran away to the city of Aphek, and that name means fortress. They ran to a fortress, and the building fell down on them and killed 27,000. They killed 10. Their fortress killed 27,000. Because he's to prove to them and to prove to hard-headed Ahab that I am God of the valleys and the hills. I'm the God of everything. And the last one, I want to tell you about is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You know that story. Remember Moab and Mount Seir and Amnon, Ammon. They were all coming up against Judah. They were coming to kill them. And they were, they were going to destroy them. And so the message that comes to Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat knows that he is too small to win this. And the prophet comes and says, you know, believe your prophets, believe them, trust that God's going to do it. And he says, God is going to deliver this great army into your hand. God is going to do it. And so Jehoshaphat believed the prophet. And what he did was he started praising and thanking God and when they began, and they, his um, soldiers started going out, and the soldiers went out, but he didn't let the soldiers go first. He put the choir out first. He got the singers, and he puts the singers out to go to battle because he believed God. That's what he's calling. That's what faith is about. I believe you, God. You are able to carry me through. And it says in verse 22 of Second Chronicles 20, and when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, and when they were, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. So in other words, these three confederates come together to kill Joshua, Jehoshaphat and all his folk, and the three confederates, they said, mm, I wonder why. And they started killing all the folks of Mount Ammon and Moab started killing all the folks of Mount Seir. Mm. Kill them all. And after they killed all of them from Mount Seir, they looked at each other. Mm, we're going to kill you too. And so they started killing each other. 
And so they killed each other. And then the last two were left. He stabbed him and he stabbed him. And they both fell down. It's right in there. Read it. They all killed each other. And meanwhile, Judah said, enough of this singing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's all they were doing was singing. They were singing praises. And they were out there killing themselves. What are we afraid of? Anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. Amen? Because he is my rock and my fortress. He is my strength. He orders my steps. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? Why are we afraid of anything? Because he is God even of the valleys. And so, and when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them an abundance of riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off themselves and more than they could carry. And they were three days in gathering the spoil. It was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the Valley of Baraka. Baraka means blessing. In the Valley of Blessing, and there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that same place was called the Valley of Baraka unto this day. Our valleys become the valleys of blessing. Amen? Because our Christ, his name is the lily of the He's the lily of the valley. When things are falling apart, we can't see from the mountains on the other side. It's so dark because we're down in the valley. You do like this. Oh, take a deep breath and you will smell the sweet fragrance of the lily of the valley. Amen? Because he's not just the God of the hills. He's also the God of the lowest place. Don't give up. Because he has overcome. Isn't that good news? We are more than conquerors to him because of him. But I think it's hysterical, too, that those folks went to army with all them jewels. I know our, our soldiers don't go to and take their credit cards and their golden rings and their, and their pearls. and You don't go to war with all your stuff, do you? God said, put on everything because I'm going to give it all to my children. And they went through four days of carrying away good stuff, silks and pearls and gold. That is hysterical. Not only will I win the battle, I will bless my children because he's the God of the valleys. There was a, one of my, all week when I'm preparing a sermon, I'm always expecting God to give me the stories, the situations all through the week. And he has. He's been, he's been telling me. I was meeting folk all week that were giving me their valley stories and how God worked them together for good. But one of the women that works on the women's, um, the women's ministries programs with Cheryl Vandenberg, she told me a story that I want to share with you. Her, her dad, all of his life, Seventh-day Adventist, but he had made, his, his goal was to make a CD. He played the guitar, and he wanted to make a CD that would bless hundreds and hundreds of people. And all of his life, he wanted to do that, and he never, he sang, and he played, and did all kinds, but he never made a CD. So now he has Alzheimer's, and he can't do it. 
And the family tried to take care of him. They were so sad because he had always said this is what he's going to do. And now he's going to die, die without making this CD. And the family was so sad because he was, they couldn't take care of him anymore. They had to put him in a nursing home. So they put him in the nursing home and they would come. But the folk found out that he could play guitar while he was in the nursing home. And so they brought his guitar and he started playing. And when he would play his guitar, he would be lucid. He would be clear. He could sing. He could play. And they would bring all the other folks in the nursing home and their relatives would come and he would sing and play clearly. It was so good they made a CD. <laughs> and they sent it to so many places to bless hundreds of thousands of people. Amen? What we call an end, God says, was always my purpose. What? Because he's the God of the valleys. And when you think all hope is gone, there is one who still exists that can take your worst valley experience into glory and make a blessing. Because, see, I know a whole bunch of folk that were once prostitutes and are now ministers for Christ. I walk into rooms and I see folks with tattoos all over them and they'll say, yes, the Lord has been so good. Let me take what? How did that come out your mouth? I met a lady this week and she was probably ridden hard and hung up wet because she looked as old as I am and she had on burgundy hair. Why you got burgundy hair with them gray roots there? But ah, whatever. And I said, how are you? And she said, I'm blessed. What? What? You got purple hair. You can't have you can't have burgundy hair and be I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. She said, I grew up on the streets. I grew up on the streets of D.C. I've been homeless. I've been abused. I've been knocked down. She said, but oh, I praise him because I've got a wonderful husband and two children. He's the God of the valleys. He will take you from the guttermost to the uttermost. Amen? Isn't that good news? And I want to close with a, a poem. And it's written by a pastor. Sometimes life seems hard to bear, full of sorrow, trouble, and woe. It's then I have to remember that it's in the valleys I grow. If I always stayed on the mountaintop and never experienced pain, I would never appreciate God's love I would, and would be living in vain. I have so much to learn and my growth is very slow. Sometimes I need the mountaintops, but it's in the valleys I grow. I do not always understand why things happen as they do, but I am very sure of one thing. My Lord will see me through. Amen? My little valleys are nothing when I picture Christ on the cross. He went through the valley of death. His victory was Satan's loss. Forgive me, Lord, for complaining when I'm feeling so very low. Just give me a gentle reminder that it's in the valleys I grow. Continue to strengthen me, Lord, and use my life each day to share your love with others and help them find their way. Thank you for the valleys, Lord. For this one thing I know, the mountaintops are glorious, but it's in the valleys that I grow. Let's pray. Oh, Father, oh, we wish that we could be in the mountaintop with you at all times. But like the disciples, we know we have to go back to the valleys where the demon-possessed are. So bless us 
as we go into the valley experience, because we know that you will use those to grow us and to teach us about your power and grace and goodness and your strength, that you are omnipotent and omniscient. Thank you, Lord, that you are everything we need to live godly. So, Lord, bless us in our valley experiences, and we want to learn to count them all joy because we know that in the valleys that we grow. Thank you for being the God of the valley as well as the hill. We love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.